0: The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. If you would, turn again in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. We are nearing the end of this book. I think we might have 1 or 2 or 7. More left. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, we'll read down through verse 6. Remember that this is indeed God's word, and it would be the wisest thing in the world for us to submit our hearts to what it says. So let's listen carefully. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, this is indeed the word of the Lord. Yes, Amen. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Our great God and Father, we thank you for the word that you have in your kindness and in your mercy given to us. You didn't owe it to us to give us the scriptures that we have. It's not like we've earned it. But you in kindness delight to bless your people. You delight to reveal yourself to us and in so doing you reveal to us our greatest good. Where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Help us to drink deeply in your word today. Do not be connoisseurs of it, but to be those who are shaped by it. We pray, oh God, that your spirit would be at work. We, we confess that our eyes are often too dim, our hearts are too often cold, and our necks are often too stiff. Please move and work in us. If we resist you, Please overcome us. Work, we pray, in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue to delve in God's Word through the book of uh, Colossians, sometimes we read things in the Bible that at first blush seem just, just very obvious, very open, and, and we can even have like a really uh, close familiarity with them, and it's, it's sometimes the familiar scriptures that can fly under the radar of our hearts and minds, and then only upon further examination do we realize like, oh wow, that actually is quite life-changing and transforming if I could but get my arms wrapped around it. One of those is found in, well, lots of them are found, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 5. I'm only going to read you one of them. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, the Lord Jesus Christ says to his church, you are the light of the world. And and while many of us would know that, in fact, if, if I started to quote it, most of us could finish the quotation, but I want you to stop for two seconds here and consider what on earth does that mean for Jesus to say that you are the light of the world? You might say he must have been talking to someone else. Me? A light in darkness? Yes, you. Well, perhaps he, he was thinking, I don't know what he was thinking about, if we consider it from our perspective. If our eyes are on our own sinfulness and what we're well doing or not doing that is wrong, we might be confounded by this statement. But consider, I guess with some new eyes, who and what you are in the gospel. You are not what you once were. Now, granted, you're not what you're ultimately going to be yet, right? You're not not perfected. You will be perfected. You're you're not um, entirely free from the presence of sin and and things like that. You will be one day. But while that hasn't happened yet, you aren't who you once were. And now you are a person, a man or woman or a child, who has had their heart washed clean of sin and sin's guilt, you're a person to whom God has given his His most precious Holy Spirit, he has, by the ministry of that Spirit, engrafted you into Christ, and once you have become united to Christ, you will actually never come into a state where you are separated from the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that's you. That's who you are. You are by the work of God and by the work of God only, which is really good because if it, if it was our work, it would uh, not be that stable or stout, but it's the work of God only. And being knit to Christ, I'm actually now knit to the firstborn of the dead, the beginning of the new creation. And so I find myself and you find yourself as part of that new creation in Christ. You find yourself in the age where the old world is fading, the new world or eternity is breaking into that, and you find yourself right smack dab in the middle of that, the, the, the area between the ages as the dawning of that beginning of eternity, and you get, as a son, Or as a daughter, to be the light that shines the goodness of the gospel into a dark world. What a privilege. What an honor. What a duty. I mean, there's there's, even if you were just to stop and ask yourself, I mean, I guess a really self-centered question. Like, well, who am I that I would? Well, he didn't give it to you because of who you are. It's yours because of, well, who Christ is. Is and you are united to him. So, in light of Christ, in light of what Christ is doing in the world, in light of who you now are in Christ, you are the light of the world. And a city that's put on a hill can't be hidden. You wouldn't put a basket over to hide that light, would you? No, you wouldn't. When we consider what it means to be the light of the world, among other things, and, and I'm sure there's, there's vastly more important elements to this than what I'll give it in just our brief time uh, this afternoon. But part of and inseparable to that, being a light of the world, is that idea of being a witness for the gospel. We, we spoke of this this morning about how prayer and the ministry of the word and looking for opportunities and boldness in gospel proclamation, should be, should be primary in the life of the church and in the life of the believer. And Paul wants to develop that a bit further and kind of isolate that idea, or not just the idea, that reality of you are a light to the nations, you are a light to the world. And we would take a step back and ask ourselves, well, in what way does God use redeemed sinners this side of eternity and this side of being saved right there in the middle how does he use a sinful fallen weak people who've been forgiven but aren't yet glorified to be a light in this world and i would say i don't know if you've noticed but that's not really like genuine i know you've noticed the world's not the brightest of places currently The world, and it might just seem that we're prisoners to the moment, seems to be getting darker and darker. But rather than looking at that, maybe what we would say, instead of allowing that reality to become an avenue for discouragement, maybe we could see it a little differently and say, well, that just means that the gospel is seen as brighter and brighter. That the lines that, that mark between a Christian and the world, well, they're not really foggy anymore. Maybe they were never foggy to begin with. We merely thought that they were. The witness of the church tracks along two different fronts. And this is what we want to consider uh, this, this afternoon. We want to consider ingredients for a powerful witness or a- elements or aspects of a powerful witness. And they're simply this, the way we live and the way we talk. Kind of summarizes, well, all of who and what we are with regards to a ministry out there. So let's consider first the way that we live in front of the world. If you drop your eyes down and look at verse 5, the context is of a prayer-saturated, watchful seeking of God for opportunities and boldness to speak his word. And then in verse 5, he introduces yet another command, it's, it's present. It means it's, it's to be that way in which we live. And it's a, it's a commandment with which we should be familiar for used to reading the Bible. Walk wisely. You might say, well, how does one, what kind of cadence does a wise walk have? Well, he's not actually talking, you would know this, he's not talking about the way that you navigate via your legs through the world. By walk, what he means is that, that most mundane way of living. The way that you do laundry, the way that you go to work, the way that you enge- engage your neighbor, the way in which you feed your dog and then clean up after your dog, the, the, every element of your life, you could subsume under this topic of walking or walking through the world. So we are to walk, live in the world, in a particular way kind of way. We're to walk not as fools, but as wise. We're to be marked not by the folly that the book of Proverbs warns about, but as a people who are marked by wisdom. We're a people who are marked uh, by a proper application of of knowledge to specific situations. Now, a question we'd have to ask before we get like too deep into the weeds would be something like this. Well, who gets to define uh, what wisdom is? I know you know the answer, but indulge me for a second. Let's say it's the world. You're like, no, I know this isn't the right answer. Okay, but play along. Does the world get to describe and define wisdom? Well, no, but I said play along, you didn't, know, you didn't listen. We are a society that overinflates this thing called professionals or experts. And if the professionals, I want to figure out how to become one of these elite persons, but I haven't figured it out yet. <clears throat> but if you can be a, a professional or an expert, whatever you say is true, right? So we saw this with COVID. You're getting sleepy, so I thought I'd wake you up. We were told Lord Fauci, I mean, uh, I forget his first name, (laughs) was an expert. So it doesn't matter if what he's saying is lunacy. He's an expert. Well, if we're not careful, we can live that way. Some ways it's really easy for us to identify, well, of course I wouldn't do that, or of course I wouldn't listen. But there's subtle ways. There's a wisdom that makes sense to the world and if we aren't extremely not just careful but on guard against it, it can soak into the very ways that we think and act. I've seen Christians who think because they're, a, they're, a, they're an expert a professional in a certain field that that then translates to all fields. I don't want to name names but engineers, doesn't matter what field it is. It makes him an expert in all things Scripture. All things. It's the same. It's the same thing the world does. We all do it. We all think that some uh, level of knowledge or uh, advancement can then translate into other areas, and we can start to treat life like the world does, rather than going to God's Word and saying, "This is wisdom. Th- this is true wisdom," and well, according to Scripture, the fear of the Lord, well, that's wisdom. That, that, that really is at the heart of wisdom. Fearing God is wisdom, and wisdom's beginning, and the knowledge of the Holy One is, is insight. So, if I were to walk wisely, and I would let the Bible define, which I think is, like, in general a good thing, or every time a good thing, I would let the Bible define, what does it mean to live wisely? that means I would live in a manner consistent with the fear of God. That means I I would care ultimately and preeminently about what God thought of me in my actions, not what someone else did. And if God were pleased with me, it didn't matter if the world was against me. And if the world was singing my praises and God not pleased with me, well, then I wouldn't be satisfied. That's the way a Christian should live in the world. Eyes on God, not the world around us, and not even, here's the biggest tyrant that I look to please, this thing. This dark, wretched thing. I should look to God. And I should seek his smile more than every other smile, including my own. And I should fear his frown more than every other frown, including my own. And that would shape the way that I would live. Now, with regards to our witness, because that would be a rather huge topic, walk in the fear of God. I mean, if you just thought through the repercussions of such a statement, that would be sweeping and comprehensive. Let's think of it in context of, well, gospel witness, which is where uh, Paul is taking it in our text, walk wisely towards the, the, those outside is the way that he literally says it. Walk, walk carefully or wisely in front of the world. Now, there can be two because Christians, they love to dr- we love, we love to drive in ditches. And we love to drive from one ditch to the other ditch, back to the other ditch. We are equal opportunity when it comes to ditch driving. And so, when we consider while, how, how to walk wisely in front of the world, there's two ditches that Christians fall into. And some, some stay stuck in one, and some they make friends on both sides. So what are the ditches that we need to watch out for in walking wisely in front of the world? Well, one ditch is we look just like the world. We look just like it. We parent like them. We work like them. We talk like them, here we start meddling, we get entertained like them. Ah, would will leave that one off the list. <clears throat> Especially in light of Super Bowl Sunday. So, <laughs> we only have, so, some would say, well, I'm a Christian, which means I am forgiven sin, I go to church on most Sundays, and, and, and that checks that box. And they don't see how their faith impacts every other area of their life. And so their, their marriages are wrecks, like the world's. Their job, uh, well, lack of ethics, is terrible, like the world's. It, it, and, and you can, we, we could start giving illustrations here that would be real meddlesome, which means we will. No, she's um, Have you ever worked somewhere? And you heard them talking about a previous worker who you knew to be a Christian. (laughs) Some of you see where this is going. And they were the laziest, most incompetent person on the job. That is not walking wisely in front of the world. Or they were known for being dishonest. Or for wanting to just flap their gums instead of doing the job that the boss wanted. That is not walking wisely. That's not walking in the fear of God. That's not conducting yourself above reproach. That's just just being, well, like the world. And that would not qualify for what Paul is saying here when he says walk wisely. There should be a difference between us and the world. Now, do you feel this is really tough to do? Well, some jobs are harder to uh, to be a Christian and maybe than others. Like if you work at home, like the, the influence of the world is less than if you're like one guy on a construction crew. Like that. That's there, there's varying degrees of it. But all of us need to be careful that we do not live just like the world. It's not walking wisely in front of them. There's a second, well, that can ruin, let me get to, yeah, let me get to this that can ruin your testimony. It really can. If there's no difference between the way you live and the way your coworkers who are lost live, what is it that you're telling them they need to be saved from? They're like, well, you go get drunk with us like we do. Well, yeah, but you need, I'm forgiven for all that, but I still do it. Like, no, there should be a difference. Now, can someone's walk ruin their testimony with the world you can remember one of my uh bosses when i worked in new zealand at a sawmill his name was pete pete was an interesting guy really really interesting he only had about three teeth so watching him eat a sandwich with lettuce on it was entertaining but not the point not the point of the illustration i asked pete because pete knew i was a christian And so I'm trying to get Pete to come to church with us. He was my my supervisor. And he said, I used to go to church. I don't go to church anymore. I said, well, come to my church. He said, no, I'm not going to go to your church. I said, why? He said, I used to go to church. He said, I was helping the pastor with a project. We were building something, and he got mad and threw a hammer at me. I thought, well, that's fair. (laughs) That, That would leave a bad taste in my mouth. You know how hard it was to try to convince Pete that that would not qualify as a good reason on the day of days? And when you stand before the judge of judges to say, hey, one of your servants got sinfully angry and chucked a hammer at me, that's not going to fly. But you know, I really wish that Christian or whoever, whatever, whoever that was that threw the hammer at him, um, I wish he wouldn't have done that because his actions actually really closed off. Now, now can God overcome that? Obviously, obviously. But you've known lots of folks who won't darken the door of a church because of some of the Christians they knew. That's not living wisely before the world. That's one ditch. You're like, man, but that's only one? Yeah, the second one is this. We're so uh, removed from the world that we don't know anyone in the world. We're so brought back, now, now being raised as a homeschooled person before I started working at the sawmill, this was, this was a bit of my life. Everyone you know goes to church with you. And we never actually lived in front of the world. We didn't know our neighbors. We didn't go and seek to share the gospel with them. That too is a sneaky form of not living wisely before the world. Amen. My heart made the same sound. Does it take intentionality and care? Yes, that's why it's called living wisely. So if you, if you are... Homeschooled, or, or if just the life of the church is all of it, does it, ha- does it need to be tactful and intentional and, and, and thoughtful in the way that we reach? Well, absolutely. But we all need to watch that we are neither too conformed to the world nor so ostracized that we don't even know someone to share the gospel with. Both of those extremes, brothers and sisters, we want to avoid. We want to chart a course of wisdom down the middle. Pleading with the Lord, protect me from worldliness and make me a light to the nations. Those two together, that's hard. And you might say, There's a, I, have a, I have a list of what ifs. I believe you and I don't have the answers for all of them. That's why we need God's wisdom. That's why we need the word of God to transform us in the inner man so that we can be wise in, before the world, not in the world's eyes, in God's. The world will think you're a loon. Just make peace with it. They're going to think you're crazy. That's fine. I'm not trying to impress them. But I do want to be found faithful in God's eyes. I I do want my life to conform to what his word calls for from the way I live. And I want my conduct to be such that it's different from the world, but also in the presence of the world so that they can see the light of the gospel in me. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. He says, making the best use of the time. uh, time, ESV does, of course, get it right uh, in translating that like a participle, because it is one, but I know you're like, grammar, please, it's after lunch. Grammar's the only thing that keeps me awake. All right. The participle has imperatival force. I know you're like, ooh, goosebumps. Whew. That means even though it's a participle, it functions like a command. Simply put, make the best use of your time. Like, you could have just said at the beginning and not wasted, well, the time. So, make the best use of the time. It is a tricky phrase, the way that Paul puts it. It, it, it actually isn't one that kind of falls easily off the bone. And so we want to consider some of the ways of what it might mean. It means either time-gaining, time-advantaging time gaining time advantaging The closest we could get to it in English would be something like this, to buy time. And even though we know we can't buy time, you know if someone's delaying something, they're trying to buy time. You would understand, if I use that in context, what I meant. It's not that I acquire more time than I had previously. It's not that I make up time to begin with. It actually means I just like use the time that I've got more wisely. If we look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament we actually find this exact kind of phrase in Daniel 2.8. It's when the king gets mad at all the fake magicians because they can't tell him his dream and what it meant. And so he says, well, I'm going to kill all you guys. And they're asking for time. The king says this, I know with certainty you're trying to gain time. You're trying to buy time. And he says, "Um, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. So it's that same idea of trying to buy back time, and it's in the context of walking wisely with regards to the world in the way that we live. And if you were to just take all those pieces together and say, well, what is it that Paul is actually trying to communicate to us? Well, it would go something like this, live wisely in front of the world, knowing that our time is made up of all these little tiny seasons. You know, I, I, I will probably, in, on this world, never see Pete again. He lives a world away. I don't even know where he is now. I had a season of a couple years. Guess what's over? Well, that season. I can look at the time that I worked in the Winco meat department. Don't buy meat at Winco. Side note. <laughs> <laughs> and those individuals that I worked with there, a season. It's over. I won't see him again. Likely. You know that we had neighbors when we lived in, in uh, Seattle. Both of them very interesting. Tried to share the gospel with both of them. Neither of them wanted to hear it. Guess what's come to an end? That season. Jobs and locations and where we live, those are all seasons. Make the best of your time. You live for very short periods of time with opportunities to live in front of the world. Don't waste that. Don't squander that. Don't allow yourself, and this is where I'm meddling with me too, don't allow, be like, well, I've been their neighbor for years and never talked to him about the gospel. be weird if I did it now. It'll be weird no matter when you do it. Just go do it. Well, then they're going to expect that I, what, live wisely in front of them? No, go meet your neighbors. Go. They love it when you shovel their um, driveways for free. They think you're onto something, but whatever. It's for the gospel. So go and do it for, however you get your foot in the door. You don't know how long you'll live there or they'll live there. Don't waste that season. You could think back on all the places you've lived, all the jobs you've had, all the people who've come and gone in your life. Some of those you will never get back. Don't pine for that. Think of today. Today, how can I live before the people that God has put me around in a wise way that glorifies him? I can't go back and change that. I can't go back to Winco or... I wouldn't want to either. But if I wanted to, I couldn't go back in time and change that. I can't go back to Seattle and witness to our neighbor, Dan, and the the couple next door again. But I live here, and I have neighbors here. One of my neighbors I'm really working on, (laughs) and their last name is not Gravos. the other one. Make the most of your time. Don't waste it. Isn't that what we learned through Ecclesiastes? Life's a vapor. Don't waste it. Well, where God has you now, your job, your friends, your neighbors, don't waste that. Live wisely. You're like, well, they'll know I'm a sinner too. Be open about your need of grace too. Yeah, if you're going to wait for you to be perfect, you'll only be witnessing in heaven, at which point, Witnessing is not needed. So, moving onward to then how we would speak. That's the the second ingredient of a witness. The first is how we live before the world. The second is how we talk in front of the world. And even those can be their own ditches for Christians. Some people are like, I want to live in front of the world, but I don't want to talk to anybody. The others is like, I'll talk to everybody and live like a pagan. Like, no, avoid both of those. Don't live like a pagan and talk to people. It's, it's just down the middle. It's not that complex. It's not easy, but it's not complex. So we want to consider the way that we speak to those in our life. Look what Paul says in verse 6. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt. So when Paul is speaking of the way we talk. I I mean, those are the two major avenues in which we communicate, stuff you do and stuff you say. That's kind of all-inclusive for who and what you are with regards to the world. And he says the way that we talk in front of the world actually matters to God and should likewise be done, well, wisely. We want to be careful with the way that we do that and the, the limitations that Paul put on our speech is that they should always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Now, this is dangerous because my mom does watch live, but that just means I won't get in trouble now. I'll just get in trouble later. She's from a Norwegian or Nordic background, which means that's why I'm half Viking, but that's a different time, different thing. I didn't know there was another seasoning besides salt growing up. In fact, my wife one time made something. I thought, this is this is different. What did you do? Gentlemen, don't say it to your wife when you first get married. Also the phrase, my mom didn't make it this way, rule it out. And she said she put garlic in it. And I had to ask what garlic was. Because <laughs> that mama didn't use that. That's what the pagans used in their meals. So I thought it was the only seasoning that would be used. Maybe Paul's mom was like that too. I don't know. But it's a good illustration for a warm afternoon with a belly full of lunch. So, what does it mean to season with salt and always be gracious? I actually think he's saying the same thing two different ways. You could say it maybe like this Season all of your words with grace. So, it's not be a jerk. And then at the end, be like, hey, but I love you. That's not not what he's saying. Or, as I've been the recipient of, don't write a terrible, awful, sinful email and then write at the end, like, in Christ, I've received them. That little bit of salt at the end, don't fix all that bad stuff in the beginning. That's not what he's talking about. A Christian's words should have graciousness Needed through all of it. That doesn't mean we are uh, negligent with truth. We oftentimes think to say what is true, I can't be kind about it. No, that's lazy. Be truthful and be gracious at the same time. That's tough, especially with young men when they get a hold of Reformed Doctrine. It's it's called a cage stage for a reason. They should be caged up until that wears off. We've all bumped into this person. Some of us were that person and have flare-ups from time to time. We need to be gracious with our words. If you don't think this can happen, he'll hate that I'll use him as an example, but whatever, it's not the first thing I've done that he hates. Pastor Charlie is fantastic at this he says some of the hardest things to hear to people in a kind, loving way. I've never seen someone be like, oh, wow, you're really awful. (laughs) You're like, I mean, it's true. (laughs) It's kind. There's grace in it. But it's true. Doesn't it take a whole lot of wisdom and biblical understanding and knowledge to know When to say something and when not. When to be bold, when to listen. When to confront, when to let love cover. All all of those are hard. But the world needs Christians who speak with grace seasoning all their words. They do not do that. The world wouldn't know grace or truth if it whacked him in the face. The Christian knows, and the Christian has received grace. Speak with both. Does this way? Does this work its way out in the way that parents speak to their kids? No, we're the boss. You don't. No, see, that's not true. Yes, the way parents speak to their kids. How about spouses? Hmm how about coworkers everybody now it's hard with those really close relationships that's i'm not i don't want to say it's where you need it the most but you definitely need it there a whole lot so this is it's it's so absolutely necessary that our words be seasoned and just, just worked through with grace as well as truth having truth does not give us an excuse to be jerks about it this is, this, this, brothers and sisters, we've got to get this down. There are those who it's, it's all grace and they wouldn't ever tell you an ounce of the truth. They would love you right into destruction. That's not love. That's not truth. Ultimately, not gracious. There are others who would take truth like a stick and beat you with it. Not really gracious. Not really how Christ has dealt with you. Grace and truth together. Now, notice he, he develops from there through verse six so that there's a reason here. You might know how you ought to answer each person. Now, this actually works its way out on an individual basis. The way that we talk with coworkers or family members or children who are lost and in need of the gospel, we actually need to apply the gospel and the truths of the gospel directly to them. And there's some who have like one method and it's like a one-size-fits-all approach to talking to people. It's not real great. <laughs> and they just take that and they just pound ahead with whatever it is, and that's the, they don't have any other brackets for how to deal with folks. It's just that one. Well, that's not what Paul says in this text. No to answer each and every one. There's also those who would fall on the other side, which they get into the weeds on so many of the details that they don't ever get back around to the gospel. Well, the, the answer would be somewhere, again, right in the middle. When we're talking to someone, is that is the gospel and the truth of the gospel central? In every, in, in, like That's the only place we have to take people, is to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them. Now... Does that same gospel apply to different areas in their life more pointedly? You'd better believe it. You'd better believe I'm going to talk to someone who was raised in the Catholic church differently than I would talk to someone who's never darkened the door of a church. Is it the same gospel? Yes. Am I going to approach it from different directions? Yes, but it's always that gospel and I'll be looking for things in their life where I can be sh- pointing them towards the forgiving grace of God in Christ. So whether it's their being forgiven of their, their rampantly evil lifestyle where every passion and lust was given into, y- yeah, i point them to a savior who can forgive them of for that. Or on the other hand, a savior who can forgive you of your self-righteousness. Both need Christ but I'm going to talk to each of them a bit differently. So that, that takes a, a wise, thoughtful approach. Even our two neighbors that, we live, that, that were with us um, in Kirkland, one was this old guy who was always high and had some understanding of Christianity. The other was a, a homosexual couple. We tried to talk to each of them about the gospel. My oldest daughter was a bit of a, what still is, lives up to her name Evangelist, and through through the fence called their kid over and was like, hey, you need Jesus, kid. (laughs) They told their daughter they're not allowed to talk to my daughter anymore, but that just made me proud as a dad that my daughter was like, hey, kid, get over here. You need the gospel. (laughs) That's what we need to be doing. Now, when it's with a kid, we're like, oh, it's cute. No, she's actually doing what? Like as a parent, I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. They're busy. They're doing yard work. Like, hey, neighbor, what you doing? Can I help you? Get to know them. Be actively looking for places to be light in their life. It's amazing if you help folks how quick they are to talk. Or if you get to know them long enough, a trial will hit their life where they'll be looking for some sort of answer but we'd actually have to know them. We'd actually have to, well, talk to them about it. Now, in closing, and I do like genuinely mean in closing, it's not like a decoy. This might sound daunting. If you hear it and you're like, man, I have to live a kind of way and talk a kind of way, like that's, that's a lot. And man, two sermons in a row, prayer and evangelism and then evangelism. Big bummer of a, of a Sunday look at it this way. If you're a Christian, has God called you to share with your neighbors in the world anything other than what you've received? You could answer. No. Yes, correct. that's the right answer. Is It's is tough. I've mentioned this before. I used to be like an internet salesman at county fairs. Dark period of my life. I don't want to talk about it. But Tough to sell something <laughs> where people are like, how do you like DirecTV? I'm like, I don't, I don't have it. I don't, I don't know. You should buy it so I get paid at the end of the day. <laughs> That's tough to talk to people about. I have, no, I have no experience with it. That's not you with the gospel. You are telling them I'm a beggar who, who well found bread or bread found me, depending on however you want to look at it, And I came to Christ and He he forgave me all my sin. And He can do that for you. It's not more complex than that. You're like, well, what if if they have all these really scientific questions? I'd be like, wow, that's interesting. So Jesus can forgive you like He forgave me. Isn't that wonderful? And if they want to argue about politics, be like, man, I don't know about any of that. But we, I could talk politics. There's a king. His name is Jesus. And he can forgive you like he forgave me. And if he could forgive this huge sinner, well, you'd be easy work. That's what we share with people. And the gospel is, it, it isn't simply a, it well, it's not. It's just, it isn't a recommendation, it is a proclamation of what is true. And a declaration that there's a God who can forgive sinners and loves to do so. That's what we proclaim to the world. That which was proclaimed to us. Isn't that something you never outgrow? I mean, was the gospel proclaimed to you once, you got saved, or whatever iteration it was, you got saved, and now you don't need to proclaim to you anymore? If you don't need the gospel proclaimed to you anymore, I don't know what we're doing with most of the songs that we sing or what this table is about. The same gospel you need to hear week in and week out and receive as a Christian and, and guides and directs the whole of your life and, and again and again and again, I as a Christian need to hear there's a, there's a God who saves Sinners, by the breaking of his body and the giving of his blood. And his table is sufficient for me. And I need him every day. And I tell other people who don't yet realize they need him, you need him and he's more than sufficient for you. That's the same thing we have the joy of receiving here today. And that's the same thing That's the same one we proclaim to a dying world who desperately needs to hear it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, fill our mouths with the beauty and the glory of your gospel. Please, O God, teach us to be a people who delight to declare that you are a greater Savior than any other. Sinner could hope for. Cause us, O God, to have lives and mouths filled with your truth and your gospel. Assure our hearts again that the same gospel that we proclaim is the same gospel we desperately need day in and day out. Comfort us, your people, and strengthen us, we pray. Amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.